Chapter thirty one of He Fell in Love with His Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. He Fell in Love with His Wife by Edward P. Rowe. Never. For the next two or three days, Jane had no occasion to observe that Alida was in the least degree obtrusive in her attention to the farmer. She was assiduous in her work and more diligent than ever in her conscious efforts to do what she thought he wished, but she was growing pale, constrained, and silent. She struggled heroically to appear as at first, but without much success, for she could not rally from the wound he had given her so unintentionally, and which Jane's words had deepened. She almost loathed herself under the association with Mrs. Mumpson, and her morbid thoughts had hit upon a worse reason for Holcroft's apparent repulsion as she questioned everything in the sleepless hours that followed the interview in the garden she came to the miserable conclusion that he had discovered her love and that by suggestion natural to his mind it reminded him of her pitiful story he could be sorry for her and be kind he could even be her honest friend and protector as a wronged and unhappy woman but he could not love one with a history like hers and did not wish her to love him this seemed an adequate explanation of the change in their relations but she felt that it was one under which her life would wither and her heart would break. This promised to be worse than what she had dreaded in the almshouse, the facing the world alone and working till she died among strangers. The fact that they were strangers would enable her to see their averted faces with comparative indifference, but that the man to whom she had yielded her whole heart should turn away was intolerable. She felt that he could not do this willingly, but only under the imperious instincts of his nature that he was virtually helpless in the matter. There was an element in these thoughts which stung her woman's soul, and, as we have said, she could not rally. Holcroft never suspected her morbid thoughts, and his loyal, loving heart was incapable of dreaming of them. He only grew more unhappy as he saw the changes in her, for he regarded himself as the cause. Yet he was perplexed and unable to account for her rapidly increasing power, while he continued so kind, considerate and especially so unobtrusive he assuredly thought he was showing a disposition to give her all the time she wished to become reconciled to her lot thunder he said to himself we can't grow old together without getting used to each other on saturday noon at dinner he remarked i shall have to begin haying on monday and so i'll take everything to town this afternoon for i won't be able to go again for some days is there anything you'd like me to get mrs holcroft she shook her head. I don't need anything, she replied. He looked at her downcast face with troubled eyes and shivered. She looks as if she were going to be sick, he thought. Good Lord, I feel as if there were nothing but trouble ahead. Every mouthful I take seems to choke me. A little later he pushed away, almost untasted, a piece of delicious cherry pie, the first of the season. Alida could scarcely keep the tears back as she thought. There was a time when he would have praised it without stint. I took so much pains with it in the hope he'd notice, for he once said he was very fond of it. Such were the straws that were indicating the deep, dark currents. As he rose, she said, almost apathetically in her dejection, Mr. Holcroft, Jane and I picked a basket of the early cherries. You may as well sell them, for there are plenty left on the tree for us. That was too much for you to do in the hot sun. Well, I'll sell them and add what they bring to your egg money in the bank. You'll get rich, he continued, trying to smile, if you don't spend more. I don't wish to spend anything, she said, turning away with the thought. 
How can he think I want finery when my heart is breaking? Holcroft drove away, looking and feeling as if he were going to a funeral. At last he broke out, I can't stand this another day. Tomorrow's Sunday, and I'll manage to send Jane somewhere, or take Alida out to walk, and tell her the whole truth. She shall be made to see that I can't help myself, and that I'm willing to do anything she wishes. She's married to me, and has got to make the best of it, and I'm sure I'm willing to make it as easy as I can. Jane was a little perplexed at the condition of affairs. Mrs. Holcroft had left her husband alone as far as possible, as she had advised, but apparently it had not helped matters much. But she believed that the trouble she had witnessed bode her no ill, and so was inclined to regard it philosophically. He looks almost as glum when he's going round alone, as if he'd married mother. She talked too much, and that didn't please him. This one talks less and less, and he don't seem pleased mother. But it seems to me he's very foolish to be so fault-finding, when she does everything for him top-notch. I never lived so well in my life, nor he nother, I believe. He must be in a bad way when he couldn't eat that cherry pie. Alida was so weary and felt so ill that she went to the parlor and lay down upon the lounge. My heart feels as if it were bleeding slowly away, she murmured. If I'm going to be sick, the best I can do is to die and end it all. And she gave way to that deep dejection in which there seems no remedy for trouble. The hours dragged slowly by. Jane finished her household tasks very leisurely, then, taking a basket, went out to the garden to pick some early peas. While thus engaged, she saw a man coming up the lane. His manner instantly riveted her attention and awakened her curiosity, and she crouched lower behind the pea-vines for concealment. All her furtive watchful instincts were awake, and her conscience was clear, too, for certainly she had a right to spy upon a stranger. The man seemed almost as furtive as herself. His eyes were everywhere, and his step slow and hesitating. Instead of going directly to the house, he cautiously entered the barn, and she heard him a little later call Mr. Holcroft. Of course there was no answer, and as if reassured, he approached the house, looking here and there on every side, seemingly to see if anyone was about. Jane had associated with men and boys too long to have any childlike timidity, and she also had just confidence in her skulking and running powers. After all, he don't want nothing of me and won't hurt me, she reasoned. He acts mighty queer, though, and I'm going to hear what he says. The moment he passed the angle of the house, she dodged round to its rear and stole into the dairy room, being well aware that from this position she could overhear words spoken in ordinary conversational tones in the apartment above. She had barely gained her ambush when she heard Alida half-shriek, Henry Ferguson! It was indeed the man who had deceived her that had stolen upon her solitude. His somewhat stealthy approach had been due to the wish and expectation of finding her alone, and he had about convinced himself that she was so, by exploring the barn and observing the absence of the horses and wagon. Cunning and unscrupulous, it was his plan to appear before the woman who had thought herself his wife, without any warning whatsoever, believing that in the tumult of her surprise and shock she would be off her guard, and that her old affection would reassert itself. He passed through the kitchen to the parlor door. Alida, in her deep, painful abstraction, did not hear him until he stood in the doorway, and with outstretched arms breathed her name. Then, as if struck a blow, she had sprung to her feet, half-shrieking his name, and stood panting, regarding him as if he were a specter. "'Your surprise is natural, Alida, dear,' he said gently, "'but I have a right to come to you, for my wife is dead,' and he advanced toward her. "'Stand back!' she cried sternly. You've no right and never can have. Oh, yes, I have, he replied, 
in a wheedling tone come come your nerves are shaken sit down for i have much to tell you no i won't sit down and i tell you to leave me instantly you've no right here and i no right to listen to you i can soon prove that you have a better right to listen to me than anyone else were we not married by a minister yes but that made no difference you deceived both him and me it made no difference perhaps in the eye of the law while that woman you saw was living but she's dead as i can easily prove how were you married to this man holcroft alida grew dizzy everything whirled and grew black before her eyes as she sank into a chair he came to her and took her hand but his touch was a most effectual restorative she threw his hand away and said hoarsely do you do you mean that you have any claim on me who has a better claim he asked cunningly i love you when i married you and i love you now do you think i rested a moment after i was free from the woman i detested no indeed nor did i rest until i found out who took you from the almshouse to be his household drudge not wife i've seen the justice who aided in the wedding farce and learned how this man holcroft made him cut down even the ceremony of a civil marriage to one sentence it was positively heathenish and he only took you because he couldn't get a decent servant to live with him oh god murmured the stricken woman can such a horrible thing be so it seems he resumed misinterpreting her come now he said confidently and sitting down don't look so broken up about it even while that woman was living i felt that i was married to you and you only now that i'm free but i'm not free and don't wish to be don't be foolish alida you know this farmer don't care a rap for you own up now does he the answer was a low half despairing cry there i knew it was so what else could you expect don't you see i'm your true refuge and not this hard-hearted money-grasping farmer stop speaking against him she cried oh god she wailed can the law give this man any claim on me now his wife is dead yes and one i mean to enforce he replied doggedly i don't believe she's dead i don't believe anything you say you deceived me once i'm not deceiving you now alida he said with much solemnity she is dead if you were calmer i have proofs to convince you in these papers here's the newspaper too containing the notice of her death and he handed it to her she read it with frightened eyes and then the paper dropped from her half-paralyzed hands to the floor she was so unsophisticated and her brain was in such a whirl of confusion and terror that she was led to believe at the moment that he had a legal claim upon her which he could enforce oh that mr holcroft were here she cried desperately he wouldn't deceive me he never deceived me it is well for him that he isn't here said ferguson assuming a dark look what do you mean she gasped come come alida he said smiling reassuringly you are frightened and nervous and i don't wish to make you any more so you know how i would naturally regard the man who i feel has my wife but let us forget about him listen to my plan all i ask of you is to go with me to some distant place where neither of us are known and never she interrupted don't say that he replied coolly do you think i'm a man to be trifled with after what i've been through you can't compel me to go against my will and there was an accent of terror in her words which made them a question he saw his vantage more clearly and said quietly i don't want to compel you if it can be helped you know how true i was to you no no you deceived me i won't believe you now you may have to at any rate you know how fond i was of you and i tell you plainly i won't give you up now this man doesn't love you nor do you love him 
I do love him. I'd die for him. There, now, you know the truth. You wouldn't compel a woman to follow you who shrinks from you in horror, even if you had the right. Although the ceremony was brief, it was a ceremony, and he was not married then as you were when you deceived me. He has ever been truth itself, and I won't believe you have any rights till he tells me so himself. So you shrink from me with horror, do you? asked Ferguson, rising, his face growing black with passion. Yes, I do. Now leave me and let me never see you again. And you are going to ask this stupid old farmer about my rights? Yes, I'll take proof of them from no other, and even if he confirmed your words, I'd never live with you again. I would live alone till I died. That's all very foolish high tragedy, but if you're not careful, there may be some real tragedy. If you care for this whole croft, as you say, you had better go quietly away with me. What do you mean? she faltered tremblingly. I mean I'm a desperate man, whom the world has wronged too much already. You know the old saying, beware of the quiet man. You know how quiet, contented, and happy I was with you, and so I would be again to the end of my days. You are the only one who can save me from becoming a criminal, a vagabond, for with you only have I known happiness. Why should I live or care to live? If this farmer clog keeps you from me, woe betide him. My one objective in living will be his destruction. I shall hate him only as a man robbed as I am can hate. What would you do? she could only ask in a horrified whisper. I can only tell you that he'd never be safe a moment. I'm not afraid of him. You see, I'm armed. And he showed her a revolver. He can't quietly keep me from what I feel is my own. Merciful heaven, this is terrible, she gasped. Of course it's terrible. I mean it to be so. You can't order me off as if I were a tramp. Your best course for his safety is to go quietly with me at once. I have a carriage waiting near at hand. No, no, I'd rather die than do that, and though he cannot feel as I do, I believe he'd rather die than have me do it. Oh, well, if you think he's so ready to die. No, I don't mean that. Kill me. I want to die. Why should I kill you? he asked with a contemptuous laugh. That wouldn't do me a particle of good. It will be your own fault if anyone is hurt. Was ever a woman put in such a cruel position? Oh, yes, many and many a time. As a rule, though, they are too sensible and kind-hearted to make so much trouble. If you have legal rights, why don't you quietly enforce them instead of threatening? For a moment he was confused, then said recklessly, It would come to the same thing in the end. Holcroft would never give you up. He'd have to. I wouldn't stay here a moment if I had no right. But you said you would not live with me again nor would i i'd go back to the poorhouse and die there for do you think i could live after another such experience but my mind has grown clearer you are deceiving me again and mr holcroft is incapable of deceiving me he would never have called me his wife unless i was his wife before god and man i'm not deceiving you in regard to one thing he said tragically oh god what shall i do if you won't go with me you must leave him he replied believing that if this step were taken others would follow if i leave him if i go away and live alone will you promise to do him no harm i'd have no motive to harm him then which will be better security than a promise at the same time i do promise and you will also promise to leave me utterly alone if i can you must promise never even to tempt me to think of going away i'd rather you'd shot me than ask it i am not a weak timid girl i'm a broken-hearted woman who fears some things far more than death if you have any fears for Holcroft, they are very rational ones. It is for his sake that I would act. I would rather suffer anything and lose everything than to have harm come to him. 
All I can say is that, if you will leave him completely and finally, I will let him alone. But you must do it promptly. Everything depends upon this. I am too reckless and in bitter a mood to be trifled with. Besides, I've plenty of money and could escape from the country in twenty-four hours. You needn't think you can tell this story to Holcroft, and that he can protect you and himself. I am here under an assumed name, and have seen no one who knows me. I may have to disappear for a time and be disguised when I come again, but I pledge you my word he'll never be safe as long as you are under his roof. Then I will sacrifice myself for him, she said, pallid, even to her lips. I will go away, but never dream that you can come near me again, you who deceived and wronged me, and now, far worse, threaten the man I love. We'll see about that, he replied cynically. At any rate, you will have left him. Go, she said imperiously. I'll take a kiss first, sweetheart, he said, advancing with a sardonic smile. Jane, she shrieked. He paused, and she saw evidence of alarm. The girl ran lightly out of the dairy room, where she'd been greedy listener to all that had been said, and a moment later appeared in the yard before the house. Yes'm, she answered. Be careful now, sir, said Alida sternly. There is a witness. Only an idiotic-looking girl. She's not idiotic. If you touch me, the compact's broken. Very well, my time will come. Remember, you've been warned. And he pulled his hat over his eyes and strode away. Bah, said Jane with a snicker, as if I hadn't seen his ugly mug so I'd know him among a thousand. With a face full of loathing and dread, Alida watched her enemy disappear down the lane, and then, half fainting, sank on the lounge. Jane, she called feebly, but there was no answer. End of chapter 31